Before we get started, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which we produce this podcast, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Catchy smile, you got that catchy smile. Stop a while, come back with that catchy smile. Come back, baby, we'll fly away. Come back, we'll just fly away. Together, baby, but don't tell your nonna. Hey, Moz. How's it going? Good, how are you? Love the background. That's <laughs> fire. <laughs> yeah, it's um, in celebration um, for you. Hi. Thank you very much, my friend. For anyone listening, I have an X-Files background and Hard Eyes released a, X, a song called X-Files yesterday. Is it yesterday? Yeah, about yesterday. Uh, depends that. which time zone you're in. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. does. Two days ago, if you're listening. We're all global citizens now anyway, so. That's true, true isn't it? Um, yeah. Have you guys, how much X-Files you've seen? And that's like not, first season. I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm just curious. It's not like a no, like first how many season, songs like years ago. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Todd, what's your favorite Nails like. album? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not one of those questions. Um, but yeah, first season. Only first season. I remember like watching it when I was like a kid when like Seventh Heaven mm. and all that shit was on Fox oh, yeah. Eight. Um, so I haven't like revisited it. Um, but I've been like really into UFOs lately. Oh, oh right. true. Tell okay. me more. So like, it's just like piqued my interest more so like ancient aliens. Ancient aliens. Then like, yeah, like you know them building the pyramids and like <laughs> nephilism and stuff like that. So um, yeah. I just thought you know when you take a crazy goog, just turns you into an alien. Yeah. You know, like you're not of this earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fully. How did they build the pyramids? That is wild. I think it was humans. Slavery, I'm gonna yeah. like. I don't get too too like caught up in the conspiracy stuff, but I think humans did it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's what. What do you guys think? Uh, probably humans. I don't know. Sh- I don't yeah. know shit about it. But there's definitely um, <laughs> there's definitely there's definitely UFOs getting around. Oh yeah. Oh Is yeah. That, two ways about it? that goes to sh- yeah. That flies real fast. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. That's real. That was released. I mean. What, so what's happening? They're like trip feeding us UFO information. So it's not crazy when it fully drops. Is that what's happening? Well, I think, yeah, what I've read is that we're like in an era of disclosure where like they're drip feeding mm. us stuff that they've known for like 60 years. But like because we have so much other shit going on in our world now that we kind of just forget about it and like don't actually investigate the details. So yeah. It's like the perfect time to be able, because like that wouldn't shock anyone. Like after the past two years, being like, oh yeah, like there are these things that we think are not of this earth and completely define all realms of like physics and thermodynamics. Yeah, like, <laughs> we wouldn't give a shit. I wouldn't give a shit. Yeah, we like that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I know. it's not scary. But you're so right about not digging any further now as well. Like we're we're all in the like the habit. It's a well worn path now of like reading a. Uh, a headline or something and being shocked for 10 seconds and then just going, oh, I'm sure it's probably, it could be true. I don't know. Maybe it's Well, I think, I think with like um, lockdown, I think individuals the past two years have just learned to compartmentalize like their own world and like what's significant to them. And like if an alien coming to earth and being like, I come in peace doesn't immediately affect them paying their rent or like 
them being able to eat food. I don't think people really give a shit anymore. Mm. Like yeah. we're so desensitized to like the shocking nature of the world that we're just like, look, if I can keep paying my rent, yeah. fueling my car going to work, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but sure. as soon as these people start like dictating, you know, my diet, like these aliens go, hey, we're going to implement like <laughs> this fucking alien octopus diet in supermarkets. Like then people will be pissed. Yeah. 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 They make us all go keto. Yeah. <laughs> if I can play my show at the Oxford Art Factory next weekend, I don't give a fuck if there's aliens exactly. coming in. I just want to play on Tuesday night at the yeah. Oxford, side, Oxford Art Factory side, side room. I just want to do that. I don't care. Let if me sell forty-five dollars worth of merch. Yeah, and fucking. I just want to put my gear in the Uber, go down to the gear. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing. Like, I reckon if aliens came, they would have had a less effect on the music industry than COVID did. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, like, like so we would have been you know, way less fucked if aliens came. That would have been sick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, more heads at venues. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It might have been a worse lockdown. Like, do not leave your There are no reasons to leave your house. Oh, truly really an enforced lockdown, though. Yeah. Mm. Do not leave. They're really, these are what you, you know, you thought catching this uh, that flu <laughs> was crazy. Like, this is, this is worse. Yeah, wait till you get a load of these things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys just got out of it, didn't you? Yeah. yeah today. today. Yeah. yeah. Congrats. Well, because Moz, let's um, for people listening at home, Moz is Hard Eyes, and you've released a, a shitload of music in the last like eighteen months. So yeah, um, I mean, we okay. So w- where we like met you properly as well was when we toured as these New South Wales years ago, about two years ago, and um, public toured with us, and you were standing in on bass in public. Mm. Yeah, and I remember that was actually around the time that you released your first Hard Eyes mixtape. Actually, yeah, it was right? yeah, it was in the middle of that. Yeah, I think for the Wollongong show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Newcastle, I remember. Um, yeah, I remember like a song dropped that day. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And since it's been like what a couple of couple of albums and a whole bunch of standalone kind of singles yeah, and collabs and stuff. Yeah, just releasing whenever I want. I mean, and that's <laughs> that's what happened in lockdown. Like, um, I I was like I've never been a person that's likes to go out very often anyway. Like I'm a very reserved homebody type of person really? where, yeah, like, I mean, when I go out, I can turn it on yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah. But I'm never seeking, I'm never seeking yeah. a good time. Oh, so out, you're not like, like out of home. what are we up to this weekend, everyone? Yeah. yeah, I'm not, I'm not one of those people. I mean, like, I like, I like being around people, but I'd much rather people come to my place or I go to someone else's. Like I hate getting Ubers anywhere. I hate mm. like, Fucking just, I just don't like being around too many people. I've got like quite sensitive hearing. It's so like I don't really like loud music all that much, like in a live context, which is kind of like contradictory mm. to everything I'm about. But like, um, yeah, just, I don't know. I've just been surrounded by live music for like over fucking 15 years. So I'm just like, over it. You know, not over it. I mean, like there's no, still you're over it. a few. <laughs> no, there's like a few <laughs> things that are like I've piqued my interest, and in. I think definitely post lockdown, I'm definitely more interested mm. in going to see more live stuff. Yeah. But I think, like, you know what you get. I think in in Australia with like a live show, and that's not to discredit like artists, 
I mean, I'm sure there's people that have seen my live shows or, like, bands that I've been in and been like, yeah, fuck it, who cares? Like, you know what you're getting. Um, but that's completely fine. I just think that's just, like, a cultural problem that we have in Australia of, like, wanting to just, like, do the bare minimum and, like, any time you put... I guess, like, an expansive idea forward for, like, a type of, like, festival or, like, a tour, Mm. you kind of get shunned by, like, the harsh reality of logistics of touring in Australia and what it's really like Mm. coordinating something a bit more out of this world, Mm. Um, a bit more of, like, an immersive experience. And I look at um, something like Volumes, for instance, if you remember that festival, Carol. Yeah, like, you know, was that, like, two days and across a bunch of different venues similar to, like, South by, um, but there was like a whole visual experience with Sam yeah, Whiteside and um, it, like it, it really brought together a lot of different communities and uh, cultures of Australian music. Um, but like obviously the fucking costs for them were just astronomical and like, you know, when you're doing it in a place like Sydney where real estate agents are just fucking cunts and yeah. like don't understand anything about you know, hosting events and, like, just the insurance is insane. Mm. A lot of people just, they just don't want to have that many people on Oxford Street, you Mm. know, roaming around, whereas they talk about, you know, like, let people out, like, open venues. You have it. Yeah. But they just want to pick and choose about what it is, you know, like, um, and that's just, like, a whole other thing of, like, how the government approaches, like, arts and culture in Australia, which I won't go into because I'm not that much of an authority figure of knowing the statistics and empirical evidence of discussing that. But um, from an artist, I mean, you kind of get complacent in just knowing, like you just like every Friday something new comes, a new show, Mm. unless you're like a hardcore music lover, you just know what you're going to get and you just don't want to go. You know, that's just how I was feeling for many, many, many years, you know, yeah. and I didn't even feel upset if I heard people say that about, like, my projects. I'm like, I completely agree with you. Like, we're just getting on the same stage, the same sound, mm. same fucking stance, the arms crossed or a schooner, <laughs> you know, like, just yeah. no Study visual aspects, nothing, yeah, sure. you know, yeah. um, and it just, yeah, it's just a bit, like, whatever, but hopefully now I think culture and music has shifted so much yeah. in the past 18 months that I think people are now, not only are they stinging to start playing live again, yeah. but, like, I think they want to come out with a lot more immersive type of yeah. um, experiences for live people. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And it does, I think that you're right, that, like, collective hunger to get back to shows and stuff and, and make them something more is definitely out there. Totally. And like, sorry, that was like a massive tangent, but like what I was saying about like hard eyes and just making music the past 18 months, Mm. it was just like, I had no other option. And all I was doing, like even before lockdown, Mm. stay in my room, Mm. make music all the time. And I actually felt quite like um, uplifted and empowered from it. I was like, fuck yeah. Like now I actually have an excuse to stay inside and make music all the time. Yeah. And um, I think the limitations to that for some artists maybe was a bit daunting because uh, a lot of artists are studio artists, for instance, take a band such as yourselves, you know, it can be very hard to coordinate Zoom sessions and mm. doing music basically off Ableton and not really being in the room because I think band music is very conducive to like yeah. the energy that you feel being in the room. In the room yeah. Mm. Um, 
But, you know, I don't do that stuff. I make dance music, I make hip-hop, and it it really worked for me mm. and it it allowed me to have some opportunities for songwriting and producing for other artists. Yeah. And I look, I was looking at my Zoom just before you called and a lot of, you know, history of sessions that once were but never really eventuated, but it's still a testament to a time that we, we lived in. There was this whole new wave of how we're approaching mm. music collaboration now. Mm. And I think that's just only going to continue and progress further, yeah. um, which is great. Yeah. And, you know, the the whole like era of a bedroom producer, you know, prior to lockdown was kind of seen as this like tongue in cheek sort of way of diminishing one artist's credibility of, you know, not being taken seriously, so to speak. But now the bedroom producers, the fucking, they're the charting artists now, you know, so. Let's get out of here if you're an A&R. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's great because, I mean, and it's really good for, being able uh, for a lot of um, artists who don't really have the knowledge of music theory or the resources or infrastructure to be able to get into a studio and make a record. Now they can learn on YouTube how to make any type of music, popular music Mm. at that, because everything now is more like dance and electronic centric. And they can just do it. Yeah. And that's what's been happening. Yeah, and it's so crazy good. for that. I remember like I remember being a <coughs> being um a kid and like like waiting out the front of my like piano teachers um sitting <laughs> <laughs> oh, like in my school uniform <laughs> yeah. and like getting yeah. a half hour session for however much money yeah. it was and then like, you know, and now, like all you, all your teachers are just on your computer and your phone. Yeah. You're taking a shit yeah. and having a piano lesson at the same time. And the most important thing, it's very approachable for a novice to be able to accomplish industry standard practices in engineering and mm. songwriting. So, like, you know, a piano teacher, a guitar teacher, back in our day, you'd have to go from fucking 1.11 in the book and then mm. you'd have to learn everything yeah. and then you'd pick and choose what was relevant. For me, when I did that, I lasted six months. I was like, fuck this, I'm going to learn to play power chords and start a band. Yeah. Whereas now, like, you get producers online who are willing to teach people and show the skills of what you need to accomplish how to make a hyper pop song, how to make a rage Cardi song, how to make, you know, a more grab type beat, mm. like a lo-fi house thing. Like there's all the the nuances now mm. where like you can just immediately get to what you want to do yeah. and it cuts so much time and mm. effort and money and, yeah. you know, like it's really empowering, I think, yeah. for um, underground music. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um yeah, I, I remember. Um, I don't know when Ableton um, built it into their thing where you could like export straight to SoundCloud from Ableton. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a moment. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and it, and it's good yeah. to see those platforms now being taken seriously mm. as like having editorial and curatorial backbone in, um, you know, promoting the next wave of artists as opposed to just being like a butt joke for a lot of industry and music people, you know. Mm. I think now we're starting to see a transfiguration where Spotify are now becoming the butt of a joke where, you know, we are just so sentient to the fact of how transparent it is that everything is just so, like, algorithmically pushed in front of you and it's not what you want to hear. Yeah. Um, And we're all tired of that, you know. I, I read online, like, a lot of, like, how Gen Z people approach 
music curation and discovery and like this unanimous um, agree like agreement amongst all of them is just the fact that they're just so sick of seeing these like targeted campaigns that are just like hidden in the guise of a major label that's purported to be indie mm. and like in like making you feel obliged to have to buy their music or their brand mm. and like that's now what's causing people to go back to Bandcamp and SoundCloud and they're those um, platforms thriving with an yeah. amazing editorial base, you yeah. know, that actually do really in-depth features mm. on what they think's good. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, the sucking Spotify's dick is a is a it's a it's a big dick, and it's it's um it can be it can be hard to take the whole mouthful. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like the 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 most like eye-opening thing of like piece of advice I ever got from someone in the industry was them telling me. Stop looking at Spotify like a music company. They're they're an AI company. They sell an algorithm. Mm. That's where they get their money from. (laughs) It's the algorithm that they've made. Mm. Um, And it's so true. And even like the head guy coming out being like, our mission is not paying artists. Mm. Our mission is selling this code and this algorithm that we've made. And I mean, fuck, it's true. Yeah. So... Stop pandering to them, you know. Mm. Just release fucking music. Fuck this four week bullshit, you know. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like. I, I've. Been, it's been um cool to see. Like, uh, you know, you put out an album a month ago, and then there's like you've released two singles in the last month that aren't from that album, and yeah. it's very um like anti record label. Uh, what would you call it? Uh, scheduling or whatever, anti, you know. Yeah, anti establishment. Just like not adhering to like this homogenized rollout mm. of yeah. what is typically considered successful. I mean, I will be transparent and say I do have a label behind me, yeah. um, Coalesce, but they're not a major or anything. Mm. And they're really, really supportive of my vision and yeah. each individual artist's um, vision of how they want to release music. Like Lonely Spec has their own style of how, you know, they want to release an album and Cookie and Lucian mm-hmm. have a different way of how they want to be branded and come across. Whereas I'm just like, I don't give a fuck. I can make an album in an afternoon. Like as soon as I make it, let me upload it. Music's for the people, you know, I (laughs) like, I'm not a fucking brand. I'm not here to hype up on TikTok for four weeks, one fucking song. Like what the investment that you make, the emotional and monetary investment that you make to doing a campaign like that to hopefully, hopefully try get people to listen to you or be on an editorial playlist is not worth the outcome because it's a fucking gamble. At least when you put something on SoundCloud or Bandcamp that's low stakes, like you have no one to blame but yourself if it's not a smash hit, you know? Mm. But that's okay because you're not trying to make a smash hit. Like you kind of adhere to the Spotify, you know, rules and regulations of the four-week thing because you're hoping – intrinsically to be playlisted and have a, a smash mm. or do successful and get clout. Whereas like when you're doing it on SoundCloud or Spotify, oh, sorry, SoundCloud or Bandcamp, you're doing it off the strength of giving people music to listen to immediately, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah, respect. I back yeah. it. All right. I'm going to send a few emails, change a few plans here. <laughs> I've got some rollouts i got to update. <laughs> I mean, courses for courses. No, like totally. if, nah, if it sure, works man. for you, like some artists are built for the Spotify rollout and the Spotify DSP rollout works for them mm. and that's fine. But for an artist like me yeah. or someone who's not dissimilar, 
Um, it just doesn't because the like I wouldn't say I'm a quantity over quality person, but I definitely believe the more quantity you have in releasing music, the more it enhances your skill set. And one day mm. you will just release that that hit that just connects, you mm. know. And there's no point waiting every four months to release one song and hoping it connects. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you just got to do it. Yeah. You know, I had a conversation with someone the other day from a line. label who will <laughs> I remain unnamed, but I have a song with one of their artists and they were like, had this condescending reply to my management of being like, you know, I can speak to Maurice um, and like explain to him the reality of an exclusive clause in promoting a song. I'm like... Bro, mm. this is not fucking Adele. Like, move along, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, just yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, um, it's, a snap, it's a snap subject change, but um, uh, how, how's living with Michael Hassett? We had Hassett and Mitch oh, on the you guys live in a couple together. weeks ago. Sick. Yeah. Yeah, crazy Mike in the house. Crazy Mike. Um, yeah, it's real good. I mean, we kind of, we're very much the same same person, I believe. Like, you know, I remember when I met him, we just had like an immediate affinity because our humor is like so nuanced, but like we get it. It's so just like, I don't know. It's just hard to explain. Like we just like, we're like kindred spirits, mm. soulmates even I'd, I'd say. And although we're very different people with different personalities in the way that we see the world and how we interact with others. The way that we interact with one another mm. is very much the same. And our approaches to music, although we take different trajectories to get to the end point, the end point's always the same. Mm. So it's good being with each other because he's doing the Sydney Bay stuff mm-hmm. and the Den stuff. And, you know, he's very meticulous in his production and, you know, how he approaches mixing and engineering and production and, I'm more kind of like, bro, you're tweaking. Like, just why are you yeah. even worried about that snare? Yeah. Like, Bouncer. it's about it's about everything. Just fucking release the music. Mm. And, you know, I understand that's not his, his way of approaching music, but I think me just being that, like, kind of devil's advocate in his ear helps him get out of his head a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm always there. Like, I always mix his stuff for him and, like, show him how to mix and... Um, we had Mitch over the other day and we just had a day of just making just fun music, which is, which is good. You know, it's Mm. just conducive to a healthy creative environment where you're not necessarily making music to release. You're making music to just enhance your skill set. Yeah. You know, what time do you guys go to bed? (laughs) Fuck him. Like, it just depends. Like I, I usually, I'm in bed by like 10, but I'm on Reddit till about like one. And he's um. <laughs> what are you reading on Reddit? What are you reading? Come on. Uh, UFO stuff, heaps oh. of ghost stories, like people's ghost stories. Oh shit! Oh, you got any, any ghost yeah, stories? Good one. Fuck. Um, I got this crazy one about my parents. So like, oh my God. long story short. So I'm like, I'm a huge believer. I've always been a huge believer in like, um, like Satan and demons and angels oh, and really? stuff like that. Yeah, I, like, I totally believes in in ghosts. Like, yeah, me too. I but be- hang, I, hang on, you're walking around yeah, believing yeah. in Satan. Satan's not a ghost. Oh, like say, like, bro, you can't believe in God. You, ca- I don't believe in God. I believe in like a universal entity. But yeah. you can't believe in ghosts without believing 
in Satan or like some type of demon or archon that is responsible for like the bad shit and like debauchery that happens in the world. But that implies that ghosts are in some way negative. Not really because I feel like there's certain types of energy. Like everything is just neutrons and atoms at the end of the day Mm. and certain neutrons and atoms interact with one another um, like a, like like a, what do you call it, electrical circuit both positively or negatively. Yeah based on, like, the environment to which they're placed, you know. Um, So, for instance, instead of going too deep into that, my parents, when they were about 22, they just moved up to Bundaberg in uh, Queensland and, you know, bought this house. My dad, big old pot smoker at the time, this was in the 70s, and he was a a bit like me. He was was very funny, you know, young young (laughs) bloke, um, wants to take the piss out of everything. My mum... was very rooted in like logic and, Mm. you know, um, she came from, well, she emigrated from Spain, which at the time was under like Franco's rule and was like very heavily controlled by like the hierarchy of like the Catholic church. And like, she was telling me stories of how my grandfather used to have to like sacrifice his farming, you know, what he sowed for the, the week and, gave it to the Catholic church as like a way of blessing the family. And my mom was like, you know, we couldn't eat for like a month because we had to give it to the church. So she's very rooted in not believing mm. in any of that yeah. dogma and yeah. any of the spiritual stuff. Anyway, they moved to this thing in um, Bundaberg. They meet this woman who's uh, selling the house real cheap. And she was like a, almost like a, a witch in a way. She was like very witchy. Yeah. And she had like a black Siamese cat and, you know, taking them through the house, beautiful, um, stilt house, blah, blah, blah. But she was like, there's this one room that we have and you cannot change anything in this room. Oh. This room was locked, but she showed him. Goes oh. in. The whole house was clear <laughs> except this one room. Yeah. And there was bookshelves with, like, stuff on neo-paganism, Wicca, Satanism, just, like, a lot of... When um, your folks were buying this house? Yeah, they were going to buy this. They were buying this house. But you're not allowed to change this room. But you're not allowed to change this room. Discount? Exactly. Discount on the house? Well, my my mum was like, <laughs> what the fuck? But, like, whatever. Like, <laughs> she was like, yeah, you cannot change this room. Otherwise, my mother will turn in the grave. Apparently, her mother was a practicing witch. Right. Um, that also practicing, like... Uh, they did like a lot of rituals of like Satanism and shit like that, but like quote unquote, like a good witch, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. using the positive energy of Satan for like good yeah. in whatever way. Yeah. Um, and she was basically like, do not change this room. Books of witchcraft. There was like some jars with fucking some type of elixir in them. Yeah. My dad was like, yeah, okay, like, as soon as you're gone, I'm fucking <laughs> knocking this wall down, yeah. adding a bit more value yeah, on yeah. our property. This is my fucking um, pot smoking room. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm grabbing the broomstick you left behind and I'm yeah. sweeping, exactly. yeah. sweeping it out, man. Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was um, there was two instances. Uh, first instance was basically my dad invited all his pot smoking friends over yeah. and they all got high and they were like, oh, we should do a seance. Like, that'd be oh, really funny. Like, God. this woman <laughs> is a crackhead, like, yeah. just talking about all this shit. That's so they're like, all right. Yeah. And they did a seance and, like, you know, people were like, oh, the, we- the, the planchette moved and, like, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And my dad was, like, you know, fucking stirring the pot, being like, oh, like, you know, trying to scare him. Mm. 
And then apparently after they did that first seance, the whole vibe in the, the place just changed. Like it was just really dark now. Um, no light would come in. And so my mum had this, she started to get inquisitive and they, they had this uh, friend of theirs who was a, a believer in this sort of stuff. And they, um, her and her partner spent the night in this like little book room um, just to see like, like if they caught any vibes. And she, she woke up in the morning and she was like to my mom, oh, there's, there's nothing weird, but I, I think of a, a mice problem. And she was like, what do you mean? She was just, I just felt these like tickles on my face and my feet all night. And they got so certainly my mum with the logic got an exterminator in. Exterminator was like, there's absolutely no trace of mice or any type of rodent existing right. mm. in your house. So this woman's like, okay, well, maybe then you do have a ghost or someone's, someone's in there. Yeah. And ever since then, my dad was like, fuck it. Uh, clean this shit out, took all the books out, everything. They put like a little sunroom or some type of like rumpus room in there. And then ever since then, shit started getting way weirder. And there was this first, this instance, right, where my mum actually fled the house and left my dad there. So they had, my mum had these like paper Chinese lanterns in the house that were very popular in the 70s that were in the living room. Mm. She came home one day. Um, as she was walking in the garage, she heard like from the outside, she heard like this huge smash and they had these like metal framed like um, shelving in the garage yeah. that fell on the floor. So my mom went in and found like everything just tipped over out of nowhere. There was nothing that could possibly of a human, non-human force push all this stuff. She goes into the living room, the lanterns are there. She's like, what the fuck? You know, so she starts walking around the house and she sees underneath the house, like underneath there was like a exposed lifted basement type thing, I guess, like underneath the stilts. The lanterns were ripped up Whoa. underneath the house. And oh my, my mom God. just lost yeah. it and she called my dad. She's like, did you do this? My dad's was like, no, nah, I've been at work they all day. ripped up and under the house. <laughs> they, uh, ripped up and underneath the basement. So she was like, Jesus. fuck this, I'm out. Mm. yeah. She left. She stayed with a friend for a couple of days. My dad was babysitting um, my uncle's um, children that were, they were about seven at the time. And so my uncle was living in Bundaberg with them as well. And they were all living there. And it was like stone cold, like stone, humid, hot, you know, Bundaberg summer night. And my dad was watching something and then, um, the the curtains just like blew a draft mm. and he went outside. He's like, that's odd. Dead, just dead, hot, humid. And he's just like, oh, fuck. Like, so that was his first instance mm. of being like, oh, fuck, this yeah. is scary. Now, like, I guess something's happening. So him and his mom, him and my mom went and go watch The Exorcist a couple of days later. So this is just as The Exorcist came out mm. in cinemas. They get home, they're freaking out. My mom, like, didn't want to stay in the house. They were sleeping. The lights were flicking on and on downstairs. So I, my dad got up to go turn the light off and there was just fucking bang, like in the middle of their bedroom. They just jumped into bed. They were like, in the morning we're leaving. Mm. They left the house. They abandoned the house, gave it to my uncle after that night because they were like, yeah. there is something that wants us out of here. They went to go live with a friend for like a week and then – they decided like a week later on the Saturday to start driving back to Wollongong to go live with my grandparents again. Yeah. Totally abandoning the house. 
my uncle, who was like a bikey at the time and like, you know, super tough guy, he has this story, which to this day, he has not told them the details of what happened, but it's something to do. He went into the kitchen. There was like this force stopping him from actually entering the kitchen. Yeah. And then something else happened with a knife or like him hearing this demonic inhuman voice. And then basically he got on his motorcycle the same day my parents are driving back and he beat them to Wollongong on his motorcycle. Shit. He drove overnight while my nieces and stuff went with my, um, well, sorry, my, his children went with my parents back to Wollongong, but he fucking beat them and he left after them. He just hightailed it and he was just like, keen to get I don't away believe that. in that shit, yeah. but there is, mm. It's not a ghost. It's a fucking demon. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah. The, that's the story, you know. So, yeah, I love okay. it. Um, so long-winded, but. That's all right. Um, I, to, it's too, the world would be too just unfortunately scary for me if I, if I believed in demons. I believe in ghosts. Like I think that, like, the energy somehow hang around and whatever, and, like, I, I enjoy that. But, like, the idea of demons is too fucked up for me. But is that dark energy? Like, is that the same thing, kind of? Yeah, I think... Yeah, dark energy. Pe- yeah, well, yeah, I guess it's another word not for like a different thing, isn't it? But they're not fucking, around. like... Yeah. yeah, they're not, like, um creatures of hell or anything yeah. like that. They're yeah, like, that, you yeah. Know. No way, yeah. I believe... Okay, so what I believe is that there are demons inside all of us, right? Yeah. They exist within us and it takes some type of nature versus nurture, traumatic trauma to shift the energy around you to then make those demons appear in your life. And there's all, there's like certain ways that your brain then starts like uh, rationalizing the weird and strange things that happen around you. Mm. But it's just like your own actions that you're kind of like not sentient to. It's almost like a dissociative state. And I believe that's when people say like, you know, you've got demons, you know, yeah. like in terms of addiction or some type of trauma. I think it's rooted in that. Like there are, the demons are inherent in us and that's what causes people to do crazy things like mean. murder people. and Yeah, like we're, like, you know. like we're capable of the, the full spectrum of behaviour as humans kind of thing. Like the worst of the worst and the best of the best. All that energy yeah. is, is, um, is uh, accessible mm. to us yeah. at any moment. And that there's trace elements of that in the fabric of life. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of thing, right? Yeah. And I speak about that a lot, a lot in music. Like I, I channel a lot of that stuff like of, I guess, the esoteric and the, the mystic, you know, like how these kind of demons and I guess entities make their appearance in your own life of mm you know, through using specific substances, mm-hmm. through certain traumatic experiences, like I was saying before, like how they manifest in your own life and then how much power you end up giving that stuff. And like, mm. like your dream, like I have crazy fucking dreams and like a lot of them have become like almost like prophetic in some instances, you know, and like the whole notion of deja vu, just the unexplainable and the mm. esoteric, I like to kind of, I lean into that a lot. Like I am not averse to wanting to like do a seance or like do a ritual right. to like want to experience true pain and true fear. Wow. Like just because I think it's the most humanistic thing of being able to cross that boundary into the other side Dude, because they're is, so around us. That's like, really interesting, man, because I think that I will 
I, I am a really like open kind of person and I enjoy like experiencing a lot of things. But I think that like having experienced uh, kind of elements of like psychosis from drugs in my late teens yeah, made me so scared to ever go back to a place where I was like, um, you know, just like that, that, that feeling of like, you know, un, un, like being unrooted in reality, yeah. like not yeah. knowing Stuck what is reality. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. having having said that, like I enjoy, um, I enjoy psychedelic, like yeah. drugs and stuff like that. Like that that stuff's fun, but it's always um, underpinned by the idea that like I could slip back into that state that I was in my late teens, and that's f- from anything I've experienced, the worst feeling that I've ever had is like feeling like, oh my god, I'm like never going to. return to um, the reality as Mm. I knew it before. Absolutely. It's a very scary thing for people. And I think, um, you know, it's like a lot of gurus say this stuff, but I do think there's some truth rooted in it um, depending what type of spirituality you believe in. But like it depends how much power you give it and how you see that reality like you know like it's it's one thing to experience like some type of psychosis and come out of it and you can either be like so afraid and traumatized by the Mm. experience or it's one thing to which is something that I experienced you know when I've had I remember having a huge psychotic break in my first manic episode and being so like not rooted in reality like I won't go into the details, but it was a very traumatic experience. It's something that Mm. I look back on with a lot of shame and guilt. But now that I I guess I'm more like enlightened because I have a more compassionate relationship with myself, um, that I can see that experience as being like, you know what, like maybe I was crazy because society deems me to be clinically crazy, but maybe there is some truth in that because it's my own experience yeah. and it's only just how much, like you can, like like with your experience, you can be like you are sent into the fact that that was clear psychosis, but you can also take that experience and go, at least I've experienced that. Like that is like another well, part of human nature we try to block out. Mm. Yeah, well, from- I, I know exactly what you're saying. And as a, as a little side note, like, to me, it's probably the most valuable experience I ever had in my life because it, it gave me a, a taste of like, it, it, it propelled me in a direction where I needed to like get to know my mind better because I clearly just didn't know it and it, and it took, took me for a like full ride, you know? Yeah. Um, and the other thing I was going to say is that it actually reminds me of a, a video I watched. It might have even been a TED talk. I'm not sure, but it was some kind of talk from a lady who suffers from schizophrenia. And she was um, describing it in a way that I've never heard it spoken about before, which was much uh, in line with what you, how you were describing um, your your uh, experience, Moz. And she was kind of saying like schizophrenia gets branded as this like mental illness. It's an illness. You're sick. You've got something wrong, blah, blah, blah. And there's all this stigma around it. And she was like, um, why... Uh, you know, like why is hearing voices um, as a labeled uh, so quick to be labeled as a sickness? Absolutely. You know? And this is a, she's like a professor um, in a university now, an extremely accomplished and like uh, not that that matters, but an extremely ac- accomplished individual. Um, but just had this like really refreshing take on schizophrenia and how she learned to she learned what the, the the voices weren't some symptom of some kind of like spiritual or mental fucking like 
abnormality, but they were actually like uh, voices from her deepest intuitions and instincts, and mm. they were gu- they were they were quite literally guiding her back to the the, mm. the green the greener pastures. Absolutely, mm. I I wholeheartedly believe that. I believe that people with schizophrenia um, or people that have you know, the most severe cases of bipolar that are prone to psychosis, um, I just, they're more intuitive to like the esoteric, I think. Like, you know, because society has normalized the fact that they're clinically wrong, Mm. so don't listen to them. It's like, well, what if they're the ones that are right that can Mm. actually like pick up on what's going on Mm. energetically around us? Mm. And like people that aren't clinically ill, are the ones who just are not able to, like, connect with that. And, Mm. again, like, you know, that's a discredit to say that because a lot of people deal with very uh, severe cases of schizophrenia where they have a lot of negative thoughts. like. And negative impacts. Um, And the the negative impacts to the life, to the lives that they live. Um, But, you know, it's, it's... so it's just a very hard, very, very nuanced line it really to toe is. in how to discuss it. And I just think at the end of the day, though, like what we just need to understand with all this stuff is that people have their own perspective of how they mm. see this stuff yes. and how they deal with it. And it's we can't discredit that. That's, you know, well, like, that's the biggest, that's such a, like, a fantastic point. It's the most important point. It's like you can't really hope for uniformity in that. Um, in that area of life, you know, or, 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 or any area for that matter, really. It's like you you really do have to uh, have true respect for the individual um, and their like lived experience of that stuff because we're Absolutely. so quick to be like, oh, no, 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 what you need to do is you need to go to this um, psychiatrist and there's probably, you know, there's a couple, mm. a couple of options. You could do this, you could do that or whatever. And, and um, you know, so often... Um, people aren't actually listened to or they're, they're not allowed to sort of like follow their own uh, instinct. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I feel like so much of like the, um, the institutions like in the clinical realm that are, you know, at the vanguard of being able to like disseminate how society is meant to like look at people with these severe illnesses, mm. um, they like – it's just they just don't understand that like the f- sorry I just completely lost my train of thought I actually had a really good point to that but it's it's like say someone's being gang gang stalked like they truly believe that they're being gang stalked and there's like overwhelming sense of agoraphobia and paranoia in their life like the the least you could do like it's you can't have empathy for them because you just haven't had that lived experience of like not showering for a week, not leaving your house, not eating, duct taping your TV and computer. Like the least you can do is like not um, push them aside as being ill. You you just need to understand that like these are people that look at life completely differently, Mm. much like fucking Pete Evans look or anti-vaxxers look at life completely differently. Mm. Like I don't agree with them and I don't agree to what they purport and I'm so vaxxed. I'm mad. Fucking give me. I'd have an extra two. Give me two more. You know. But like, <laughs> I don't. I don't discredit. I don't discredit them as I being ill or like I don't yeah. go. Oh, these people are ill because they yeah. see life you differently. Put them in it's a just basket. like, yeah. You know, and like that's just the, the biggest problem that we have in society nowadays. It's like we we 
we want so much logic and rational behind the most like esoteric and like personal subjective mm. notions of today's society, but we just don't have, even the clinical people don't even yeah. have enough evidence of how this shit fucking no, works. They don't. Know? That's true. That is absolutely true. And it's, it's like so, aliens. Um, it's really, it's really pertinent, you know, and, and I don't want to talk too much about this in like a, in a yeah, public yeah. way, but I feel like it's, it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a fertile ground for it. But like you're speaking to the exact sort of um, information that I've been uh, like reading recently and discovering internally, like aside from, you know, reading it externally, but actually like processing internally and around some of my own situations, you know, like I've been, uh, I've been like sober for a long time. Or, um, yeah. And, uh, and at the root of that was being told that I was ill and that I had this sickness and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, just recently, like that paradigm has completely shifted. And um, this is, I mean, no disrespect to anyone who uh, believes that, it is an illness or, you know, they, it, it is an illness to them or whatever. But to me, it, I no longer see it like that. And um, it's, been, it's been one of the biggest, like, mental shifts in my life. It truly has. And, like, yeah. the, the world has looked so different to me for the last three weeks. I can't, I can't explain and I feel um, like I've, like, freed myself truly, which is what, you know, I was going to, like, 12 step groups and meetings, et cetera. Yeah. And, um, you know, I felt a level of freedom in that. And I've, I've, I've actually like stopped going to those and, and withdrawn completely from those altogether. And I, and I'm experiencing a new level of freedom, you know, and that's just, I I'm really glad to hear that. You know, thanks brother. It's, it look, listen, it's been amazing. And I, I, I really want to stress that, you know, if there is anyone who, listens uh and is in 12-step programs and it's working for you and you know the idea that it's an illness and all that kind of stuff is like makes perfect sense to you then that's awesome all i'm saying is that it doesn't to me anymore you know absolutely yeah absolutely and and you know what and that's that's okay like it's been a massive realization for me to be like i don't need to agree with this in concert with others like Mm. i can just have my own opinion and mm, move on with my life. This is your lived experience. Like you don't need to follow the trajectory of someone else or what other people that have a degree yes. or a master's in something uh, dictate you should do because what what is best for you and how to live your most fulfilling life mm. is what works for you. I mean, if yeah. I was to just look at the empirical statistics of people with bipolar that, you know, having a higher suicide rate, like lower mm. life expectancy, the fact that 60% of people with bipolar are unemployed and can't hold down a job, mm. dude, I'd fucking kill myself. I yeah. wouldn't give a shit. Like, exactly. You know, like, and then you'd become part of the empirical evidence as well. Exactly. And that's, and that's what it is. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Like but you, you just need to live your that, own life. Yeah. And like, you, if you, if you, if if those things become hardwired in enough, the, the, he, this is the problem. It's like for nine years, I told myself I was sick on a weekly yeah. basis for nine years. I have an illness. It's incurable, blah, blah, blah. Told myself that for nine years, man. The, the result of letting that belief go is just Freeing. Like mind-blowing. It's like Absolutely. a fucking new life. 
Dude, and you just learn to, you just learn yourself more and you like, you learn that it's like, it's okay to have multiple personalities or like multiple voices or stream of consciousness in your head. Like it's not abnormal to, you know, be someone that like might someday, like you have like, like homicidal thoughts or suicidal thoughts or like, you know, then you can snap out of it and, you know, be the most... Uh, empathic person possible Mm. you know it's like that's normal like that's not abnormal to that the abnormality comes from those who act on those thoughts and and voices you know and feel like they need support because they feel like they're going to act on it but people need to understand like you know having those things that's just human nature and it's like Mm. when you learn to accept that and not have to look at like what some phd tells you that like oh this this characteristics is rooted in people with, you know, some illness, like you're going to start looking at your life through that gaze of like, you are sick. And then so you then in turn live your life as a sick person and you you, live your life as a sick person. You don't, you don't accomplish anything or you feel like you can't have the confidence to go and accomplish something, you know? Yeah. And the shame, like the shame just piles in. Absolutely. Like it's just so fucking difficult to live a life carrying around a big bag of shame and guilt. Absolutely. Yeah. And fear. Fuck yeah, it. Yeah, it's nah, just <laughs> rock on, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um yeah, it's a big it's a big um it's a big uh just talking personally for a second for me it's like been a big change and I haven't like, you know, we speak on this pod twice a week and have done for a year. So it's a big thing to talk about on this pod to the 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 more regular of our listeners. But um, it just came up in such a perfect way that um, mm. felt like the right time to to talk about it. Yeah, well, I'm 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 glad to hear that you've uh you found this freedom within yourself because now, I guess it's the you know your first day of starting to live the rest of your life as a yeah. as a more you know loving person to yourself and the others yeah. around you. You know, yeah. and like as corny as that sh- and as guru as that sounds to say, like. There's truth in that, you know, it's just, you know, it's what's predatory is when people fucking exploit that rhetoric and they start going, oh, buy my course, like Mm. subscribe to my Patreon Mm. and I'll tell you the secrets. Like, bro, there's no secrets to living life. Like Mm. you will get there one day. You'll have enough experiences Mm. for when you get to a point you're like, fuck, now I, now I understand why I did those things. Now I understand why those things happened. Um, And then you just like, fucking life you just take it as experience and you just learn to either do or don't do those things again yeah i mean it's crazy and i know what you what you mean about the um the people you know exploiting it turning it into a course and a book and all that kind of stuff but um it's a fine line and i've thought about this a lot because like i found you know certain people online who take a real interest in in um in the whole like addiction sort of thing and Mm. a lot of the mythology around it and they um you know they keep saying that do not don't this is not a course this is not a Mm. we we, this is about the fact you don't need a course this is why we're writing what we're writing it's like you don't need a course you need you you need to you you are enough you can you can change right and um but this you know the same so it's interesting because they're they've kind of made it their sort of life's work to be uh, talking about this issue mm. and like for me I'm kind of grateful they are because who knows how long I would have stumbled along my own sort of path before 
actually mm. like coming into contact with any of the information that they've collated over a 30 year period and presented, you know? Yeah. 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 So like absolutely. I, I do, I do, I know exactly what you mean. You can't coarsify this shit and blah, blah, blah. It's mm. like, but it, those people that are, um, that are beacons going like there's absolutely. like alternative ways of looking at this and like, here is a bunch of like, actually like literally empirical evidence as well, you know, yeah, like yeah, to, yeah, to, yeah. to say that, you know, what you've been taught isn't necessarily true. Yeah. It's interesting. I think coming full circle as well, like it comes back to your point about music and just releasing things the way you see fit, you know, like mm. that's how you, that's people have their rules and there's probably courses on how to release music in the music industry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Believe me, but like you're, you know, doing things your way, um, that makes sense the way that, you have your way of working and Hassett has his way of working, but you're both working on the same things. You're looking at like that through your own visions as well. Just in the same mm. way that like me and my girlfriend like stack the, the dishwasher differently. You know, like everyone's got their own <laughs> way the of doing things. And it's like not, everyone's not the same. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's so true. And I, I just think like I used to, man, like be, feel like I was like so gaslit by like, people in, you know, the industry or other musical counterparts in the way I approached music and released music, mm. feeling like I was fucking crazy yeah. and naive, you know, mm. because they all did something <laughs> the one fucking way, you know, the tried yeah. and tested method. Yeah. Whereas I was like, I can't do that. Like me as my personality, I can't sit on a record for more than a month. I'd mm. scrap it after that. Like mm. I'm such an in-the-moment person. Like how I make music is just completely rooted in how I feel at the time, what I'm like, what I'm influenced by. And I will damn near make a video and upload it the same day of making it. And like, mm. I'll move on. Like, I'm not trying to promote that. Like, I'm just, it's such a cathartic experience for me. And I think that's why I will never be able to, you know, exist in like the normal paradigm of a professional musician with a career because, I can't play by the rules. Like I don't, I can't wait. I don't want to get on TikTok. I don't want to make people feel obliged that they have to listen to my music. I don't want to have to address fucking human beings. Like they're fans, like they're humans. You know, I get a lot of people in my DMs being like, bro, you know, love your music. And I don't fucking keep them in my requests. I don't like look at them as fans. I talk, I have like in-depth conversations with them about music and mm. I send them unreleased music because like if they are showing me that love, like I, sh I will show you the love back. Like I'm not some fucking untouchable entity like Prince, like, mm. Mm. you know, and like that's what the fucking music industry tries to fabricate so much. They try to fabricate their major label artists being like these super personable, like, hey guys, like here's a photo dump on my day off like but it's like bro it's so like y this was done by your social media manager like mm. are you really in the dms like fucking like having conversations with people and i mean like there's levels to it like it's a lot easier for me to be able to have conversations with people because i'm not at a magnitude artist um and it'd be different for someone like jack harlow or doja cat to be able to do that but it's like the whole like it's a slippery slope into like the whole like guilt tripping people into mm. buying your music now like on tiktok like i don't know if you saw that video of that yale girl who mm. was like um guys my label told me not to release this like my friend told me this was the worst song ever i'm about to drop it on my birthday everyone go pre-save it and prove her wrong let's get to a million streams it's like 
Mm. Bro, like you can't like what yeah, is that? What even you know, is that? yeah. Mm. You know, like we've just like, and I I don't blame that the artist per se for doing that. I blame the zeitgeist of like media and culture at the moment, like these influencing entities that are dictating fucking this idea of bullshit neoliberal careerist fucking like hustle culture, mm. where like now it's not about being the artist and releasing a record. It's about, you know, you got to get on TikTok. You got to be active on TikTok. You got to be fucking on this platform. You got to be on YouTube. Mm. Oh, you should do a vlog. It's so much not about the music anymore. And I mean, that that's what I mean. People can be like, that's such a naive way to look at it. I'm like, it's not like, look at any career from a successful billionaire artist from the 80s. And it was always about the music and touring, yeah. Yeah. you know, and we're just perpetuating through this hustle culture, like this burnout attitude among artists like I've seen so many artists in lockdown be like is anyone else creatively drained and it's so true and it's not because they're trying hard to make music I feel like they're drained by seeing so many other of their counterparts and musical peers doing all this fucking shit just going fucking ham with TikTok and like just not even making music just like building this brand like their influences and it's like that makes me tired. I, I look at that. I'm like, how, did the, how, how the mm. fuck do you have the hours between a job, studying, whatever, and, like, doing all this stuff? Like, where do you even make music in that? And I, I think it's just really toxic, like, this whole hustle culture and, like, it's become this ellipsis where, like, where, where like, you pop off, like, a viral TikTok snippet and you just have this career for a second but mm. you don't have the experience to be able to handle this longevity and actually build a career. So then you flop and then mm. they find the, the, they just find the next person with the next viral hit and it just keeps fucking going around mm. and around, you know? And it's like, when are we going to stop that? Like, when is that going to mm. finally run its course? Yeah. And we're going to get back to fucking touring and, you know, like, I mean, yeah, we can't tour now, but like ha ha just making good bodies of work, like not just trying to release one minute songs, like, mm. you know, building, a fucking body of work that's conceptual, that's meaningful, you know. Mm. There's nothing wrong with TikTok music. It's fun to listen to, it's, you know. It's more, I guess, like it brings people together through the dances and all that shit. But, like, <laughs> at the end of the day, man, like I'm not going to get caught dead in, as being a 35-year-old being like, hey, guys, you know, hit that like and subscribe. We're doing a mukbang today. What the fuck? Get in the mm. studio and make fucking music, bro. Mm. Like, what are you talking a fucking mukbang? Like, <laughs> bro, like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Where does that Whatever. go from here? That's crazy. It's like it's been such a trajectory to this point. Surely, like, in a year, there's something else we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm. going to eventually end or come full circle, but I wonder what's next. Like, how yeah. it manifests. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, like, look, I hate on that shit, but, like, if you do it, like, you enjoy doing that, but, like, you shouldn't <laughs> suck when the industry is, in, like, inevitably against you at some point. You, you like, bought into it. Mm. You adhered, you pandered to the homogeneity, uh, yeah, homogeneity of the lowest common denominator. So, therefore, you need to take the repercussions that come with that. Mm. When you're an independent artist like myself, I live in my own fucking world. I barely listen to music, right? I just release my – I'm the biggest artist in my world because I don't look at other artists. I just release music whenever the fuck I want. 
and it's for the people that want to listen to it, okay? And like you were saying before, Jamie, that has been super liberating for me mm. because so long as a producer and songwriter, I was fucking like grinding, like doing Zoom sessions at fucking 2 a.m., like, you know, trying to damn near doing the digital version of hanging outside the record studio for the rapper to come out to try getting this session with him, like, mm. bro, and it fucking... Dist- it just it made me feel so jaded and bitter against mm, the music industry mm. because you know it just it, it wasn't happening but now when i've changed my accomplishments and like make them more measurable mm. in an australian context mind you america's a whole different kettle of fish australia we have a very different culture that we need to abide by and by doing that in an australian context of being like I'm just going to put music on SoundCloud and YouTube. Like I'm not worrying about DSPs and that's fine to me. That's what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to have to wait four weeks for one song, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just how I'm feeling at the moment. But yeah, again, sorry. I'm like feeling a lot more freer by looking at music that way. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's awesome. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's quite honestly inspiring. And I think that there's a ton of our listeners who, um, you know, like make music and play in bands and I'm sure they'll be yeah. like pretty riled up by that as well I, in a good way. I think it's really, I mean, I've definitely experienced it. It's, a, it's amazing how different you can feel um, in a positive way from a, just a change in perspective and a change mm. in like what you value as important in terms of mm. um, what you do. So, yeah, I think it's really, really valuable. Absolutely. Listen. Sometimes you don't know how fucking like backed up and stuck you are until, I don't know, like, the, the paradigms in which we view so many things in our lives um, and we just regard it as normal or whatever. Mm. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden it takes one little kind of like shift in thinking or yeah. like one conversation and all of a sudden like some of those walls crumble you're a bit and you're like, yeah. hang on, what yeah. are these fucking like, yeah. what are these rules that I yeah. play by? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know. I, I've said that a million I, times. Every time you see a rule, you'll – like guaranteed like turn around and someone else breaking it successfully as well. Yeah. I mean, you guys are a testament to that. I mean, you had the sitcom Mm. um, Mm. and that was something that an Australian band has never done. Um, Mm. And you constantly tour, you know, like you, you're not, you're not this like group of actors that are, you know, got a TV show pretending to be a band. Like you're an actual real band, but you also have like the self-awareness of how to like critique the the life of like a full-time musician. Mm. And then to go further from that, you have um, the the TV like talk show um, thing that you that you guys mm. did, which I absolutely loved. And it's that's another testament of pushing the boundaries and not playing by the rules. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, not like approaching an audience that wouldn't necessarily initially like um, be a fan of your music, but they're a fan of you as people. And that is always the main thing. And like when it's done through something as like, inch, like um, what's the word, like as creative as like mm. what you guys have done in terms of like acting in the, the shows and the talk show and stuff, it shows that like you yourselves as creative are far ahead of like so many of your counterparts who are just like listening to what their team tells them of getting on TikTok and just giving the bare minimum, you know, Mm. like we just, we just fucking love praising the bare fucking minimum in this country. (laughs) We fucking do like, like look at fucking rancid Eddie. Like 
Mm. Bruh, I, I can I can name you fifteen hundred people from Wollongong I grew up with that could make that fucking music. You know, I'm not mm. saying it's good, it's garbage music. Like Rancid <laughs> are complete dog shit, and their attitudes as people are fucking dog shit. Yeah. And I despise all music similar to that that yeah. has the same type of content. But they do the fucking bare minimum. Like they drink beers and like put on the sticky fingers voice with an acoustic guitar. Like, cause that shows just how backwards we, the lowest common denominator are culture in Australia that like mm. we're so entrenched in this misogynistic bro culture of like the lads and the beers and, you know, mm. surf culture and all this <laughs> shit that like the majority of people that are buying into that stuff are just like so fucking banal and like just love the bare minimum, you know, like, mm. Mm. You know, like that's a huge hater take. Well, I don't give a shit, cunt. No, fucking, whatever. That doesn't you know, matter. Yeah. yeah, like, like, yeah. Just, this, I just get so like discouraged. Like looking at so many of my peers, like, like Dane, Lonely Speck, Donatachi, um, that are just like so ahead of everything that's happening, and like just don't deserve to fucking be a victim of this Australian culture. Mm. Like they need to be in London or America. Like there'll be superstars over there, you know? Um, and it just, it, it's, it's, it's disheartening to see them give so much and like give away this amazing music to a society that just doesn't want to mm. listen. And I, I mean, you can't force people to listen to it. Um, yeah. But it's just that our, our, complete isolation from the rest of it's the world crazy. makes us backwards culturally. It's so apparent. You know, so that apparent. the world doesn't even look at us as like a place that is yeah. at the forefront of challenging musical ideas of, you know, what's right and what's wrong. Mm, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's so true. It's such a funny um, port, like, uh, you know, a, for want of a better word, like, no, like audiences here are just that they, they, they are. I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just. I think we're just a, a nation of people that being so rooted in like, look, I hate to take it there, but like colonism, you mm. know, yeah. um, like being, you know, white privileged people, we're a very passive society. Mm. We get given a lot of things and we're entitled and we're expected to have a lot of things as white people, whereas, you know, a lot of people of colour have to go a completely different route to get mm. where they want to be and how to accomplish certain things which are a lot easier for us to get, especially with nepotism. Mm. Um, and having the resources and infrastructure of just, like, access to education, mm. um, appropriate living conditions and housing and just the bare, the bare minimum of essentials that a human needs to exist, you know, like it's, it's a harder struggle. And because of that, that attitude is just in our culture that is so passively given to us that we just expect music to be handed to us on an algorithmic playlist, you know, like, oh, you're going to the gym, here's a fucking gym playlist. <laughs> oh, you, you, you run a fucking boutique, here's a playlist for your fucking boutique. Mm. You know, like, oh, you want something to watch, like you know, on your fucking, you know, he's, he's, he's something on off Netflix. Like it's just such, it's so entrenched in passivity and like no critical thinking that we just accept shit. Mm. So like, we're just like so rooted in that, that like we don't want to look at how other cultures and demographics like 
perceived culture and like how it could be inherently wrong. Mm. But because we're the majority, we just accept it as being, you know, the status quo. Mm. Um, you know, so it's that's a very convoluted. I'm definitely not an authority to speak on that much further, but just as an observation, that's the way I see mm. it. Like, yeah, it's a very entitled, passive society, you know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, and then on top of that, so like you said earlier, there's so much spread like geographically in this country, and and yeah. the population like numbers, numbers are smaller. So yeah. you're seeing, uh, you know, and, and if if you've got ten times the population in a city, then your scenes might be ten times as large. If yeah, not more diverse. Yeah, yeah, more diverse. Mm. Yeah, hundred. Well, um, Moz, it's been so sick talking to yeah. you, man. That was a f- loved it. That was a fun <laughs> fun chat. Yeah. You were a bit new. Yeah. Yeah. Good chat. I'll send some you emails after chat. this for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cross out a few of my to do lists. Yeah, cancel the Spotify subscription. Yeah, yeah. Get the pad out. Yeah. Good on you, man. Good luck with yeah, all thanks for Do you having have anything us. to plug on new music coming out or anything like that? Nah, just follow on the gram. Yeah, I, yeah. I'll, I decide when I want to put music up so, and yeah. I could I could release five songs tomorrow. Yeah. All right. You know, so. um, I'll, put a, I'll put a Hard Eyes song at the end of this episode. What do you want, X-Files? No, let's put OK. OK, okay yeah. yeah. Right, six, six, six. Yeah, well, again, congratulations to everything. Um, You've gone through Jamie and having that realization is very refreshing to hear. Yeah, sick. Likewise, it's, brother. It's good that you guys are, you know, going, going through your. Yeah, it's it it's was good. serendipitous. Actually, mm. we need to have more of these conversations, especially between artists. Mm. Yeah, I think we need to bring this shit beyond. So tell me about the record. Like, fuck. Like, who cares? Mm. Yeah. Like, you know, as creatives, we we naturally are empathic people. You know, we're in some way pierced by society and we have a way of articulating that. And I think there are, there are a lot of roots mm. to how we feel and how we exist in society because of that. And I think we need to start speaking about mental health and a lot of stuff like addiction a lot more. Mm. Yeah. Um, so as to, I guess, build a more compassionate society of people where we're not just shooting from the hip and, yeah, you know, Mm-hmm. Making yeah. songs like Rancid Eddie again, you know, <laughs> you know, having knowledge and education on certain things. Um, yeah. But that's, that's it. But, yeah, it was great, great chat with you guys. Yeah. Really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. It's awesome, Oz. We'll, 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 we'll have you on again soon. And oh, yeah, I'll, for I'll sure. Gi- I'll give you a buzz sometime as well just to say hello. Yeah, yeah why not? Yeah. Let's get to it. I think we only All just right. began. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Take All care. Right, gents. Have a great See one. Ya. See, See ya. ya.
Shine for me.